up to the steps. I remember when they sang that almost 30 years ago, about 28 years ago or so, right down there, uh, right about where the first row of seats are, when they were on <clears throat> pre-filled ministries going to Slovakia. And uh, I mentioned that to Tim occasionally. I love that arrangement, even though it's a cappella. Thank you so much, Tim and Kippy. What a what a lovely song with the words and, and the voices and most of all the people and the Savior and His work in our life. Thank you so much for doing that for us this morning, ministering to us. Well, Easter is in two weeks, and we will be celebrating, as we do every every Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, we celebrate Him every day, don't we? Every moment. Um, I love that gospel hymn that says, I need you every hour. And the older you get, the more you, uh, you realize that's true. And when you hear that song, it's not just a song. Lord, I need you every hour. But I've told you this, and forgive me for the repetition of it, but it's true. More people will attend church on Easter than any other Sunday and many people are just waiting on an invitation. They don't know that, but they are. And uh, many of them work with you. They, their kids play baseball, softball with your kids. Uh, they live in your neighborhood. And so we have uh, taken these and put them in kind of little groupings of ten. And they're, they're spread out here on the front row. There's some over here, too. And we want to encourage you to come by and pick up. Uh, just a packet of 10 of these or 20 if you want, how many ever you want, and disperse these during the week. Uh, if you could just maybe in your neighborhood go out and uh, um, however you want to do it, if you want to knock on the door, hey, my name is Rick, I'm your neighbor over here. I just want to invite you to our church on Easter, and uh, we would love to have you. Thank you. And uh, it has the date and the times, also has a gospel on the back. And uh, Or you may just want to leave it in the door, however you want to do it. We just want to get the gospel out and invitations to people. Personal invitation is best, but even if you just uh, leave it there so they don't put it in the mailbox now, you're not supposed to do that. And uh, people that you know, uh, even when you go out uh, to restaurants and speak to people, just make sure you leave a good tip when you do that. I was with... Uh, uh, meeting with someone recently in a restaurant. I knew I'd be there for a while. And I told it was an important meeting that dealt with some personal issues, the person I was meeting with. And I told the lady, I said, now we will be here for a while. And I said, I will compensate you because I'm going to have your table. And I said, my kids wait tables, and I understand what that's like. She said, okay. And I knew as she walked away, I felt the wave of doubt. And so... Uh, when she, when she left, I, uh, when we finished, I, I left her a, a healthy tip. In fact, I got up a few minutes before we were finished to make sure she wasn't going to leave her shift. When they leave their shift, they don't get that tip. And so I made sure she got it. She was an older woman. Uh, she wasn't as old as me, but she was an older woman. And uh, about five minutes after I went and because these people they go and check those tips you say well they don't know if they put on a credit card yes they do and uh, 
about five minutes after I went and did that, and I sat back down to some serious business with the individual. I felt this presence behind me, and, and then I felt some, some 55 or 57-year-old lips come up and hit me on my forehead and kiss me on my head. And I turned around, and I saw this woman. She's big, almost tears. She said, thank you so much. And uh, I think I could go back, and I may do that even this week. And your generosity opens up opportunities for you uh, to be a testimony to people. And I hope that that you can do that in more ways than just that. But uh, enough of that. It's good to have the Moody's with us. I didn't know y'all were going to be here today. Uh, These are Matt's parents right here, Danny and Mary. We're so glad y'all are here. We sure do love y'all and appreciate uh, your kids. They have been a great blessing. To our church, and we give you permission to spank Matt good this afternoon. Amen, Tim. Tim would give you glad permission to do that for all the tricks that Matt has played on him. So uh, it's been a great blessing to us. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke again this morning, Luke chapter 23. Uh, Those of you that are familiar with the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Those that are unfamiliar may need help. Someone told me one Sunday, he said, I appreciate you sometimes saying that. We're kind of giving a general direction in the Bible. I said, we just assume everybody knows where the books of the Bible are. You don't sit where I do. Sometimes I see people kind of thumbing through the Bible. and Even the what help I give is inadequate. But uh, Luke chapter 23... And uh, Andrew, thank you for the nice backgrounds you put up for the songs, the templates, and also for the sermon slides. Uh, we don't thank you for that, but that, that's uh, thank you for your time for that. It helps us. Um, I want to return to the second saying of Jesus on the cross. And uh, by now... We should be on the sixth saying of Jesus on the cross. I told one of my pastor friends this week, I said, I've had to make peace with the way that I preach. That uh, I said, I'm never going to change. I said, I wish I would. But uh, it's just who I am and, and the mind, the way that God has given me my IQ is for. And I can't get past this. But it's the way the text opens up to me. And I'm not saying it's good, but it's the way that I see it. And so I believe God God would have us to do this. I think it will help you. And again, it, it, it's about hope. And I want to ask a question. Then we're going to dive into the text in a moment. But what are your hopes in heaven? Not for heaven, but in heaven. What are your hopes in heaven, I've been thinking about uh, my mom and dad for some reasons. Uh, this coming July will be 14 years, and my dad's been with Jesus. And uh, it's been two and a half years that my mom has been gone. It's hard to believe. Uh, two and a half years, December of 2019. Uh, the evening that she passed away that late afternoon as we were in the room uh, before they just moments before they wheeled her into surgery she was fully cognizant of the seriousness of the surgery 
And uh, she told us she had complete peace. Paula was in there. And she saw this and she could uh, testify to this statement I'm about to make. But she had the full peace of God. And uh, mom looked at all of us and she said, I'm okay. She said, I have two addresses. 1101 Retlaw Street. That's her home on earth. I have two addresses, 1101 Retlaw. And I have an address in heaven. And she said, either one is fine with me. And she was fully at rest with where she was going. You see, the more we know about heaven, the greater our hope is. And uh, people often say that, that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. And that's the truth. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. But there's a corollary to that, that the Bible speaks more about heaven than it does about hell. In fact, it's not even close. We know in, in comparison, keep in mind, there is a hell. But we know much, 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 much more about heaven in great, great detail than about hell. And yet we speak so little about the place called heaven today to our own detriment. Listen to this. When you lose your vision and your hope of heaven, you lose your hope in this life. You understand? Whenever you lose your hope of heaven, you lose your hope in this life. I'm not talking about hope of going to heaven. Some of you know you're going to heaven, but you don't think about it. There's not a yearning for it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do. You understand that? The Bible teaches in Ecclesiastes 3, in fact, from the same passage that Tim Kippy gave us, the song they gave us today, that God has given us a, a hole in our heart. He has given us eternity in our heart. And this, this hole in our heart is something that only God can fill. And you cannot put anything else in that. And so we are to yearn for heaven. Samuel Rutherford, hundreds of years ago, here's what he said. I like this. He said, the hope of heaven under troubles when you're in a trial is like wind and sails to the soul. In other words, when you're, when you're having trouble, when you're in a trial, knowing that, that there's an afterlife, knowing that there's an eternity without suffering, without pain, that there is a place to go pondering Eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ brings hope. It brings encouragement. Now some of you this morning may not be real interested in heaven, but you will be. One day when your best friend dies, one day when your brother dies, your mom dies, your daddy when your baby dies, you'll be interested then. You may not be interested in heaven now, but when you get older and you have more days behind you than you have days ahead of you, 
and pain begins to invade your body. And you and the world begins to lose its its attraction to you. And again, like C.S. Lewis said, it's, it's not an issue of escape. But you begin to realize, I was not made for this world. I am a pilgrim and a stranger. And I'll tell you, when we went through COVID, uh, one of the things that happened for me, and it's been happening for a while, but it really happened for me during that time to realize that, that I am a pilgrim. And that is one of our identities in First Peter 2 and other places. I am a pilgrim. And I am a stranger. God has given me a mission in this world. And I'm going home. So what does the Bible say about this place? What do we have to look forward to? Because, the more, listen, the more we know, the more our hope increases. And the more we know, the more endurance and the more joy that we have. Do you need endurance today? Do you need more joy? Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, He said when he looked forward to some things, he said he was able to endure. He said, I look forward with joy because I'm looking forward. And it was not just to his mission accomplished, but to being with his father. Our big idea as we get into the text in just a moment is simply this. Jesus died. Listen, Jesus died so you could live forever to be with him. Now, when he was on the cross, he said seven statements separately, and none of them were were very long. And in each of these statements, you learn something about God's heart and God's purpose. And boy, these are so powerful. I I preached on this uh, years ago, probably 25 years ago. In fact, these are new sermons. I didn't even take out my old sermons. I just began to meditate and study afresh on them. And we come to the second statement. If you'll turn in Luke 23, you're there. Look at verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors. These are thieves, criminals, led with Jesus to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, that means the place of the skull, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So the Lord Jesus was in the middle. Then said Jesus, here's the first statement. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's talking to the people that crucified him and the things that were happening at the foot of the cross. We'll see here. And they parted his raiment and cast lots and were gambling for his clothes. Apparently they did this for all the criminals. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God, that means the Messiah. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. So these thieves are listening, and so... They've learned that he's the Messiah, he's the King, he's the Savior. Verse 38, and a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. Many times they had to carry this and it was their their crime. And it was stated over 
the cross. And apparently as he marched through town, he had to carry this. And the thieves at least could see this as he marched through town. And, and minimally they could look at it when Jesus was crucified between them. Someone said this was the first gospel tract ever written. I don't know about that, but it was a tract for them. Verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? If you read the gospel of Mark, you find earlier both of the thieves were Mocking Jesus. But now one of them begins to realize, listen, I'm being executed justly. I deserve what I'm getting. Verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, watch this, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Here's a second statement from the cross. And this is our text today. Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now we've gleaned some truth here today. First of all, in past messages, that salvation is simple but not simplistic. When the thief said, Lord, remember me, he didn't even pray. This is the simplest prayer that he had. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't join anything. He couldn't do good works. He couldn't take communion as such. There was no such thing anyhow. But he couldn't do anything. There were no works. He just said, Lord, remember me. There is no sinner's prayer. There is a merciful prayer. He didn't even say, have mercy on me. This was the echo of his heart. It was a prayer of repentance. Then we learn secondly that everybody that hears and is exposed to the same message doesn't have the same response. Both thieves were in the same place. They had the same exposure to the same truth, but only one came to repentance. Some people believe that this thief that believed in verse 43, verse 42, this was the first time he ever heard the gospel. He was dying, so it was really his last opportunity, but it was the first time that he heard. Everybody that hears and is exposed to the message doesn't have the same response. It is not your opportunity to win everybody, it's your opportunity to sow the seed. I think we, we place so much emphasis on winning souls when our responsibility is to witness and sow the seed. It's God's job to bring them to Christ. Now, there needs to be an urgency. There needs to be an opportunity to to draw the net. Don't misunderstand. But don't be concerned with keeping statistics. I would urge you to do that. We're we're so egotistical sometimes and, and to compare one with another. Let God keep the numbers. Don't even worry about that. He gets the glory. And the third thing we learned is that salvation is certain. And you can have the assurance of salvation in verse 43. Jesus said, verily, verily, the word there in the Greek is amen. He said, amen, I will remember you. I say unto you, today shalt thou be with me. Today shalt thou. This is a present tense promise. I promise you. Now the Bible teaches the security of the believer. 
And we talked about that a few weeks ago, about the security of the believer. Why don't you listen carefully? You can believe in the security of the believer and not be a Christian. The devil believes in the security of the believer. A lot of Baptists come up and say, well, I believe in once saved, always saved. Well, my close, close friends in school, when I was a junior in high school, I was burdened for him. We played ball together and he was involved in some things, that, some really bad things. And I was so burdened for him. I remember it was during school. It was about during break. We had a break from 10 o'clock to 10.10. And I was in the yellow section there. The school was divided into green, blue, and yellow. And I just came out. The burden was so heavy. I just came upon him. And he went to another Baptist church in the city. And I just couldn't help it. I said, let's say his name was Ron. That wasn't his name. But I said, Ron, are, are you saved? Are you saved? He looked at me and he said, Rick, once saved, always saved. I said, yes, I believe that. He said, well, then I'm saved. And I believe he was resting upon a doctrine. Upon a doctrine. You see, it's not the security of the believer that saves you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus saves you, he saves you. I believe in once saved, always saved, but I believe in once saved. And the evidence of your salvation is not a profession of faith. It is a manifestation of that faith. And the assurance of your salvation comes by, it's, it's those manifestations in John, loving the brethren, growing in grace so that you're overcoming sin. doesn't mean perfection, but direction. This is so important. But salvation is certain. Once a person is saved, they can never lose it. You can doubt it. Many people do. I believe most people do. I shouldn't say that maybe. It gives you permission, but I'm being honest with you. I talked to somebody after church last two weeks ago when I preached on this. I said, did you ever doubt your salvation? The good man, he said, yes, I did. I said, you know, I think most people do. We don't talk about it. But there needs to come a time when you can say, because of what Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to you, today thou shalt be with me. Because he said, one day you will. You have eternal life right now. It's not 10-year life, 15-year life. It's eternal life. And if you've been saved, you'll be saved until the day you die and you go into heaven. Enough of that only to say this here in the text. Now, today, I want to give you this. And this is such a blessing. And it's the blessing of salvation. The blessing of salvation. It's difficult to comprehend the multitude of blessings that accompany our salvation because of the breadth and the depth of salvation. But I want to give you two that are here in verse 43 in the text. And they're right here. And it's one reason I I didn't want to hurry through this, because this is so, so vital. Number one, salvation involves a person. It involves a person. The promise that Jesus made to this criminal on the cross concerning salvation, that he would be with him, you will be with me. 
In Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be, look at this, thou shalt be with me. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, we, we make much about going to heaven, and I do. I'll ask a question sometimes at church at the end of the service. How many of you are 100% sure that you're going to heaven? We make much about going to heaven. But we don't make much about going to see Jesus. But heaven is the abode of God. And heaven is where God lives. And heaven is, is Jesus. Now heaven is a city. But the big thing about heaven is Jesus. And that's what Jesus... Here's what the, here's what the criminal said. He said, I want to go into your kingdom. And Jesus, in essence, said, Hey, the big thing about the kingdom is the king. Verily... I say unto thee that today thou shalt be with me. You will be with me. John chapter 14 and verse 3, Jesus said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. Listen, if you don't love Jesus, you may not love heaven. Heaven is about Jesus. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul said, For I am in a strait. He said, I've got a choice to make here. There's two options. Having a desire to part and to be with Christ, which is far better. The other one was to stay with them. But to part was to to leave earth, and look at this, and to be with Christ. And I have this underlined, which is far better. Not just to go to heaven, it is to go to heaven, but to be with Christ. Heaven is about Jesus, it's about the Father. And in a sense, the Holy Spirit is there, but the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus And the Father has exalted Jesus, as Brother Tim mentioned this morning, as the Lamb of God. We see that in Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5. It speaks of heaven. Notice this. And there, that is in heaven, there shall be no more curse. Won't that be good? No more curse. Say, preacher, what's wrong with your throat? Did you see all that green stuff on your car this morning? It's a curse. <laughs> curse it, man. There shall be no more pollen. <laughs> or at least no more allergies. There will be no more pollen. I was trying to be grateful this morning. saying, God, thank you for the flowers. Thank you for the... F-. I just couldn't get over the hump. I kept cussing the pollen. <laughs> there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it that is in heaven. That's where where the the throne of God, that's where the presence of God is. And His servants shall serve Him. He will be there. And they, look at this, and they shall see His face. We'll see the face of Jesus. Some believe we will see some representation of God. God is a spirit. Verse 
Timothy chapter 1 says God is invisible. In Revelation chapter 4 and other places in Revelation, God has some form. We will see some form of God. I can't explain this. But we will see the face of Jesus. What does he look like? I don't know. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. God tabernacled with us through the person of Jesus, and he will dwell with us in heaven. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them. And I love this. And he will be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There's a song you hear sometimes occasionally at funerals that there will be no tears in heaven. Ultimately, there will be no tears in heaven. But at some point, there are tears in heaven. Because God wipes away our tears. You won't wipe your tears away. God will wipe your tears away. Who is there this morning that's gone on before you that you love and that loves the Lord Jesus? These passages that I've read, they, they've seen Him. They're with Him. They've seen things you haven't seen. They have a joy you and a fullness that you know not of yet. John Piper said that the gospel is not how people get to heaven. The gospel is how people get to God. And I'm not going to bicker about using one or the other. It's okay to say to get people to heaven, but I think that there's a, an idea there that we, we must not forget, that heaven is not some ambiguous idea of some kind of a state of mind. It is a city, it's a place, it's the dwelling place of God. Charles Spurgeon said, depend on it, you will never get to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. Fanny Crosby wrote some wonderful hymns. She was a poet. And boy, was she good. She was tremendous. Most of you know Fanny Crosby was blind. And uh, she was blinded at six weeks. When she was six weeks old, a little baby. But she never became bitter about it. As I understand, people that are blind, like Gordon Moat, the pianist, and others... They develop their other senses in acute ways. And a preacher came to her one day and very sympathetically remarked, uh, Fanny, it's just a great pity that God did not give you sight when he showered you with so many other wonderful gifts. And he meant it well. Fanny Crosby quickly responded because she had thought about this before. And here's exactly what she said, and I quote, she said, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I should be born blind? And the preacher was surprised, and he said, Why is that? 
She said, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. And she took that idea, that thought out of that conversation as many songwriters do. And they get a hook, or poets, they get a hook, something grabs them. And she wrote a poem that became a hymn that we still sing. My life work is ended, and I cross the swelling tide. When the bright and glorious morning I shall see. I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I see His blessed face and the luster of His kindly beaming eye. How my full heart will praise Him for His mercy, love, and grace that prepare for me a mansion in the sky. Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come and are parting at the river, I recall, to the sweet vales of Eden, They will sing my welcome home, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know Him. I shall know Him. And redeemed by His side, I shall stand. I shall know Him. I shall know Him by the print of His nails in His hand. One of her hymns, and she wrote thousands and thousands of poems, thousands of them. But it was so personal that she kept it to herself. And she was at the Bible conference at Northfield, Massachusetts, at D.L. Moody's home and headquarters. He had a place there. It was the largest Bible conference center in the United States. In fact, I've been there. I was looking at it even this morning. Uh, on Google Earth, just kind of reliving when we were there, went to Moody's grave. And uh, Moody asked uh, Fanny Crosby to come and give a personal testimony there at one of the Bible conferences there in the late 1800s. She hesitated and rose, and here's what she said. Fanny Crosby said, well, there's one hymn that I have written, but it's never been published. She said, I call it my soul's poem, S-O-U-L, my soul's poem. And whenever I'm troubled, I, I repeat it to myself because it brings comfort to my heart. And then she wept as she recited it. It's based on Ecclesiastes 12. And this is what she stated. And now it's a hymn. It's in our songbook, in fact. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And when she was 95 years old, it's 90 years after, 95 years almost after she was blinded, Fanny Crosby passed into glory and saw the face of Jesus. Samuel Rutherford made this statement. He said, O my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without Thee, it would be hell. And if I could be in hell and have Thee still, 
It will be heaven to me, for thou art all the heaven I want. You know, heaven, heaven is Jesus. There's a lot of good things about heaven. Golden streets and Technically, there's a street. It didn't mention streets. It says it's a golden street, singular, but maybe there's some little eddies there on the side. I don't know. Read a cute little story this past week. I was reading some stuff about uh, heaven. Man arrived into heaven, and he had a suitcase with him. And uh, angel said, what is that? He opened his suitcase up, and it was a bunch of bars of gold. He said, what are you bringing concrete up here for? You know, the things that we value so much. We think about our mansion and we think about all of the, the beauty of heaven. There's nothing wrong with that in a sense because God tells us about it. But heaven is about the Son of God. And Jesus said, Verily I said to thee, Today thou shalt be with me. Thou shalt be with me. Listen carefully. There is no soul sleep like some tea. There is no soul sleep. The moment you die, the moment you die, you go to be with Jesus. There is no purgatory where you purge for your sins. The blood of Jesus purges you from your sins, that and that only. The moment you die, you go to be with Jesus. Verily I say unto thee, today, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today, today shalt thou be with me. In paradise. Today. We watched uh, Rebecca suffer. And she's with Jesus. I love my daddy for a lot of reasons. But my dad, my mom too, mama bought me a lot of music. She uh, bought me a lot of sheet music and Taught me to play the piano. She didn't teach me. Mama couldn't sing at all, but she loved to sing. Sound like a tornado or something. It was bad. She truly made a joyful noise. My daddy could sing. We'd ride around in the car and sing. And we had a love for music to sing together. We used to sing this song. I've heard of a land that is wondrously fair. They say that its splendor is far beyond compare. In that place that's called heaven, my soul longs to be. For where Jesus is, it will be heaven for me. If walls were not jasper and if streets were not gold, If mansions would crumble and if folks still grew old, still I'd see everything I've been longing to see. For if Jesus is there, it will be heaven for me. Heaven for me, it will be heaven for me. Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. All its beauty and wonder I'm longing to see. But Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Salvation involves a person. Jesus told this thief, he said, Today thou shalt be with me. And then hurriedly, 
Salvation involves a place. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In paradise. Notice the way that the Lord Jesus describes heaven. He calls it paradise. The word paradise is rarely used today, but it is a word that is the epitome of comfort, of beauty, of pleasure. The only time the word is used is three times in the Bible, the word paradise, and every time it's used about heaven. It's always in the New Testament. Paul died, I believe it was outside of Lystra. I don't have time to go into it, but they stoned him there. I believe he died. And he refers to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2 and following. And he said, I knew a man in Christ. He's so humble he wouldn't say it's him, but it was him. Above 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or out of the body. He said, I'm not sure if I died or what happened. God knoweth such an one caught up. Now, the word caught up is the same word in 1 Thessalonians 4. is caught up in the rapture into the third heaven. Now, the first heaven is the atmosphere. That's where the birds fly. The second heaven is, is space. That's where the planets, that's the universe. The third heaven is the abode of God. He said, I was caught up in the third heaven. That's where God was. I went to glory. That's what he said. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that, look at this. He almost repeats himself, but he changes something. How that he was caught up, look at this, into paradise. So in the same passage, he says, I was caught up into the third heaven. Then he says, I was caught up into paradise. They're one in the same places. Paradise is the third heaven. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says that God will honor those that have lived a victorious life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Of the paradise of God. And this location is in heaven, as we discover in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Because it's, where is this tree of life? And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, and there the tree of life, and that is heaven. That's where heaven is. Heaven is where the tree of life is. That's where paradise is. So obviously, Jesus is saying that heaven is paradise. And the word paradise comes from a Persian word, which is the word Eden. As in the Garden of Eden. And the the idea there is one one of happiness. Now listen... If the world is so beautiful today, I was showing some pictures uh, to the family the other night of, of some sunsets that were just spectacular. I love love sunsets and just the beauty of nature. Can you imagine what the world was like, the beauty of the world, when it was untouched by the curse? And the devil had not had any influence in it at all. Untouched by sin, evil, Corruption. 
And very similar to our home in heaven was the Garden of Eden. With streams, with gardens, with... Surely there will be beautiful music there. And I think one of the things that we will do there in, in paradise is, is your personality will not change except it will be sanctified. Uh, are you, uh, do you like to build things? Well, surely God will have you be serving Him within the capacity of your personality. You, you'll be able to do that, but you, you won't hit the wrong nail. There'll be perfection. Are you a musician? All of us will sing, but some of us will will be more delighted than others, I think. You know? Heaven is a celestial city, a real place. I told you the story about John R. Rice wrote a book about heaven and he sent it to Moody Publishers, was publishing it, located in Chicago, Illinois. And so they sent him back his copy. To, they'd edited it, and he noticed a flaw in it. He said, talked about the city of heaven, and he capitalized heaven. And they had put it back in lower case. He sent it back, and he sent it back with a capital H. Heaven is capitalized. They sent it back with a small H. He called them. He said, I notice you keep putting heaven in lower case. He said, well, yeah, it needs to be lower case. He said, no, I want to tell you something. He said, now, is heaven a city? Well, yes, but... No, no, is heaven a city? Is Chicago a city? Is Chicago capitalized? Well, yes. Is heaven a city? Yes. Well, heaven is capitalized. Chicago's capitalized. I want heaven capitalized. And they capitalized it. And it right here, I see heaven. I capitalized heaven. Heaven is a, is a city. It is a place. It's a beautiful... It's paradise. Jesus said in John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, a place, not, not a state of mind, not something ethereal. Uh, there, there's a, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. It's a real thick book. And when Gary was dying with cancer, I went out and I bought the book and I bought the CDs and I took them over there and Gave them to him and Becky to listen to them, just to to edify them. I'm rereading it right now again. It just builds my spirit. And it's a very biblical book about heaven, about the beautiful city of heaven. Randy Alcorn's wife died this past week. And here's what Randy Alcorn said. He said, for the Christian, death is not the end of an adventure but a doorway from a world where dreams and adventures shrink to a world where dreams and adventures forever expand. I kind of like that. I mean, we have, a, we have a good life here, but Paul said in, in Philippians 1, to be with Christ, is, it's better. It's better. You know why we cry? You know why we cry when our loved ones die? If you're saved? We're not crying for them. We're crying for us. And be careful. Let me just put this in here. In your effort to comfort people. Say, well, they're with the Lord. They're with the Lord. I I know that helps them, but especially right right after it happened. I think I told you this. I had a friend 
He lost his brother. And uh, boy, it was devastating to him. And about six weeks later, uh, somebody said, well, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just, it's just tough. I'm having a hard time. Well, man, he's with Jesus. You know, man, he's cheer up. He's with Jesus. He says, well, you asked me how I was doing. I have my brothers doing. And I think that's a good answer. Paul, Paul didn't say in 1 Thessalonians 4, he didn't say sorrow not as others which have no hope. He didn't say don't sorrow. He said don't sorrow as others which have no hope. Grief, grief is a sign of love. Now, there is a form of grief that's debilitating, okay? But sometimes I think in our efforts, some of the worst people that do that are people that haven't, that haven't been there or they don't have the kind of relationship they had with other, maybe their friend or their loved one. I say that to you to help you because sometimes in your well-meaning efforts, you can do more damage than good to people. Let me just say this. Here's what I say to people. I just say, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And maybe at a time later when they're ready to give them some things, maybe that'll help you. Here's what Jonathan Edwards said. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Isn't that good? I mean, think of the best place you've ever stayed. With the most beautiful view. I love the Grand Canyon. The, the majesty of it. The depth of it. My son Jake's going there. He's taking his wife on an anniversary trip in a couple of weeks. They're going out to see the Grand Canyon. And I told him, I said, man, you're not ready for this. It's, it's, it's incredible. The depth and the width of it. Incredible. The majesty of God. When Paul and I lived in Virginia, we were 700 miles away. On top of that, the speed limit was 55 miles an hour. Some of you say, are you serious? How many of you remember those days? Yeah, the gas had gas rationing. So you can kind of do the math. It took a long time to get home. And uh, <clears throat> now as a father and as a grandfather, I realize that my parents and my grandmother miss me more than I miss them. Because when you're young, you're concerned. Yeah, hey, man, I got an adventure here. We're going to get home. Well, they're living, they got more days behind, or behind them than they do ahead of them, and they're counting time. But when you're young, you're not doing that. Well, we got a lot of time, but they don't. But they can't tell you that. But I still missed home. And so my grandmother had stage four cancer. My brother was a, was a blue-chip, five-star football player. I missed every one of his football games, his junior and senior year in high school. Didn't see one of them. And I, I, I wished I could. But I was in the will of God for my life. I was where I was supposed to be. And, uh, but my heart yearned to be home sometimes. Not to where I was going to leave, but I, I missed home. Then... Uh, so in the times we would come home, maybe twice a year, once a year, I would uh, make a list of people and places that I wanted to go to, people I wanted to see. And I, I'd, I'd write down, 
I want my grandmama to make me some dumplings. I mean, she could make them dumplings. I could smell them. And I want to go to her, her family room. You've been there, Naomi. And I could smell that place. And, and I could, I'd see the layout of my, my little home there on 612 Marguerite Drive. Just a little time. But, but all the memories there, that layout. And I write down Big Spring Cafe number two. We got to go there and get that grease in my hair and my clothes. Oh, man, I can taste those things right now. And those hush puppies and coconut pie at Gibson's. And I made all this list, and I made all the people. And I never did. I never did complete my list, but I, I still have some of those lists. I'm a list keeper, and I mean not just then, but I keep them. And I check them off. But the best part, the best part of coming home was seeing my mom and my dad and my grandmother and some close friends. You know, the best part about heaven is getting to see Jesus and getting to see some loved ones in a place called paradise. A beautiful place. A place of beautiful music. A place of of serenity without conflict. Just an incredible place. Today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. William Gurnall said, Let your hope of heaven master your fear of death. Let your hope of heaven master your fear of death. Forgive, forgive this. I hate to say this with these precious people here, but I, I don't think they'll mind. When I sat with Rebecca just a handful of days before she went to heaven, so Rebecca, you want me to read some verses about heaven? She said, yes, I would. And I was sat with her for several hours, and she said, Brother Rick, I am not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. You know what's hard is the process. But the crossing is not hard. It's, it's getting there. I think it's hard for us to watch the people that we love. But once they're there, man, be with Jesus in paradise. I miss my daddy and my mama. But to think that they're with Jesus and they're with paradise... We have seven kids that we have never seen that my mom and dad are playing with. Wow. D.L. Moody said in one of his sermons, he said, one day you're going to hear that D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead. He said, don't you believe a word of it. He said, I'll be more alive than I've ever been before you to bow your heads with me, would you? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask you a few questions this morning.